Okay, if you didn't know it yet, today is All Saints Day. And at St. Paul's, we are going to keep to the traditional four Sundays out of the year to do baptisms on. And so you see a baptismal font out there, and that's just going to stay there. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But uh, basically, All Saints Day, the next baptism day will be the baptism of our Lord in early January. Then you have Easter, then you have Pentecost. And so those are the four traditional days that the church has celebrated baptism. But welcome today, because today is All Saints. We just had some children baptized in the Lord just this morning. And so today, you stand as baptized people before the Lord. And I want to teach you a few truths from the scriptures about who a saint is and what a saint does, okay? So what a saint is and what a saint does, all right? Now, when you think of saint, what do you think of? You think of St. Peter, St. Mark, St. John, one of the gospel writers, maybe one of the epistle writers, certainly. Or do you think of a modern saint? Perhaps Billy Graham, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, St. Leslie of Conway. She is a saint. She's put up with me for 25 years. She's earned her stripes, no doubt. No doubt she is a saint. Typically it's true, though, when you think of saints, you think of somebody beyond you morally, higher than you spiritually, and somehow more connected with God than you could ever be, right? That's kind of what we think of when we think of saints. Billy Joel in 1977 had that great rock hit. Well, it's great for some, not for others, but he has a great line in it, though. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners have much more fun. And only the good die young. Right, the good. Saints are good. They're holy. He gets part of that right. Saints are holy. It's from the Greek word hagios which means to set apart or to make holy for God. We do that with communion every week. We do that with saints when we baptize them. But they're not set apart in the way that you could imagine or probably imagine. Because in Revelation 7, we get a different definition of saint maybe than you've ever thought of. And see, when you read in Revelation, what you're getting is not fortune-telling, it's not future-telling, What it is, is it's truth-telling. John is here on earth, he's looking into heaven, and God parts the sky so that he can see truth as God sees truth. He can see the universe as God sees the universe. And that's what we have to read about in Revelation 7. He sees saints for who they truly are. And what does he see? He sees a great multitude of people in heaven, all the saints, And they're surrounding the throne of Jesus Christ, the throne of the Lamb. And they're singing praises night and day. And there are so many people up in heaven, he can't even count them all, he says. They're from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And Jesus has made them one in heaven together, saints and angels praising him alike. Do you know, when we get up to communion today and say things like... um, With angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That comes from Revelation. That's the song that the saints and the angels sing together. So when you do that, you're joining with the saints of Revelation 7. But here, in the middle of this revelation, in the middle of this worship song, guess what happens? Look at this, verse 
verse 13. Then one of the elders said to John, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and where have they come from? I, John, said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. John, uh, Revelation 7, 13 to 14, from John's Revelation. That's right. There you get two different answers, don't you? Who are the saints? These are the ones who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. So they're you who've given your life and your soul and your body and your whole family and your church family back to Jesus. So that his martyr, martyrdom on the cross, his blood on the cross, might wipe you, wash you clean, so that you can stand before a righteous and holy God on the last day. So you are righteous and holy. Not because of what you've done, the work of the saints trying to be good or holy, because of what Jesus did. He's done all the work for you, and he offers you his blood to cleanse you, that you may stand in heaven one day. That's why he sat on the cross with his arms outstretched. Lord, it is finished. Because I've done all the work for you. So saints aren't working at holiness and righteousness. Saints are those who are blessed with the righteousness of Jesus. So the bottom line is everybody in this church today should consider himself or herself a saint. If you're a believer. Saints are every person who will be in heaven one day. So the mission of fathers is to make sure their sons are saints in heaven one day. The mission of mothers is to make sure their daughters are in heaven one day together as saints. The mission of the community of God here at St. Paul's is to make sure the people beside you in the pews and in the chairs are saints in heaven one day with God. That's our journey. Saints are saint makers. That's our mission. So way beyond piling up a bunch of money so that your son or daughter can go to a prestigious university... Way beyond feverishly play, praying on a Saturday night that they get home from the party. Way beyond you praying that they might marry somebody up in social status one day. You should be praying for their salvation. That's your job, to make saints. Because if you really think about it, when you have to give an accounting before God, is he going to ask you, man, you did so well. Your child went to Harvard. Come on into heaven. Your child went to Yale. Come on into heaven. You did so well. Your child was CEO of such and such company. Or your child attained the status of, of partner in that prestigious firm. Or your child, when they got married, they married up in social status. God's not going to ask those questions, is he? He's going to ask us, is your child worthy to stand before a righteous and holy God? That's going to be the question. And God's going to ask of us as a community, did you do all in your power to help this person get into heaven? Did you encourage this person through authentic faith and worship in Jesus Christ? Did you encourage this person by talking with them about Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of the world and inviting them to join you in asking questions about what it means to accept him as Lord and Savior? You see, we're called as saints to commend the faith to the next generation. And those are the questions that God's going to ask of us on the last day. So a saint is someone who is washed in the blood of the Lamb, look at this definition, and made ready to stand before Jesus at the last day. 
That's 1A. 1B is this. This is the second definition. A saint is one who, someone who perseveres in faith until the very end. That is who gets into heaven. John said in Revelation 7.14, he said, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, is what John says in Revelation 7.14. The great tribulation, that's life. And so there's a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. And it goes like this. The perseverance of the saints is the doctrine that those who are truly saved will persevere to the end in faith. It doesn't matter if that person who is truly saved will never lose their faith for a season. It doesn't mean that they won't backslide for a time. But perseverance means that ultimately, in spite of all their failures, they're going to finish the race of salvation. Make it to heaven together as saints. Paul talked about his own perseverance. He said in Philippians 3, it's like an endurance runner. It's like somebody who's an athlete. In fact, Paul quite often used terms of athleticism and winning prizes in an athletic competition. And he said this about his own perseverance. He said in Philippians 3.12, he said, Not that I've already attained this or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have already made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead of me, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's an athletic image. He's persevering. He's pressing forward. He's straining. He's going to win the prize. He's going to be with Jesus. So when life knocks Paul down, he keeps on pressing. When God seems distant to Paul, he keeps on running back to Jesus. When life seems hopeless for Paul, he keeps coming back to God's promises of the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. God promised that. I'll keep pressing. I'll keep moving. I'll never let go. I'll never give up. You see, it's the cross that allows Paul to forget what lies behind and press forward for what lies ahead that he might get to the finish line, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, teach your children, your godchildren, your grandchildren, your friends, and your neighbors. Teach them to press into Jesus, to press into the gospel, never to give up, to keep their spiritual eyes on the finish line of heaven. Because that's the only way we're going to get there. That's the only way we make it through the tribulation is together to encourage one another. Because life is tribulation, right? Personally, in 48 years, I've held hands of both my mother and my father as they went through the hellish, ravaging torment of cancer, and they died. I've lost all four of my grandparents. One had to endure the long-suffering, horrific illness called ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. Not too long ago, Leslie and I watched as her mother was taken from us unexpectedly in an instance of time suddenly in the blinking of an eye and I've seen dying children in Haiti who are left orphaned without parents that's tribulation and it's going to come your way the young babies we baptized a few minutes ago they hadn't seen tribulation 
but they will see tribulation. I can guarantee them. Paul in Romans 8 gives us the truth about this life, doesn't he? He says this, and he says the brokenness has a way of taking our eyes off of the prize. And he tells us what that brokenness in this life looks like. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility, in bondage to corruption. And not only the creation we see around us, but we ourselves. So we're in bondage in this life. We're in bondage to sin. We have the corruption of cancer in our families. We see that death sometimes seems like the victor and not Christ Jesus the Lord. And our response in Romans 8, he says, we sigh. All of creation groans under the stress of the tribulation. That's where we are. And the groans and the stress are hard. And sometimes you'll feel them and that's okay. It's okay to go through a season of tribulation and say, where are you, God? There's a whole book on that in the Old Testament called Lamentations. The Hebrew word for lamentations is ekah. And ekah means basically, how? Alas, where are you, God, in all this mess? Isn't that the same thing that Mary and Martha ask of Jesus this morning in the gospel? Where were you, Lord, in all the mess? Alas, how can you let this happen? So it's okay to throw a pity party on occasions. That's our natural response to groan. Paul says it in Romans 8. But Christians do not live in the midst of lamentation. We don't continue to sing funeral songs all the days of our lives. Saints who persevere, we persevere through the gospel of hope. We keep our eyes fixed on the finish line, the upward prize, the call of Christ Jesus. So it is important for us as saints to hold the finish line before our friends and family always. To keep our eyes fixed together on the upward call. You see, knowing where we're going makes all the difference in the world. Leslie and I went on a small mini vacation at the end of summer with our three boys. It's to a place I've been to before in Clayton, North Carolina. We went down into what they call the Grand Canyon of the East Coast, Tallulah Gorge. And going down at 48 and 40 plus for Leslie, I'm not going to say anymore. But uh, as 40-somethings, it's totally different from teenagers. And so our young, athletic teenagers used to running and jumping, they went right back up the gorge at the end of the day. Leslie and me, not so. It took us a while. But I remembered the, the three things that every spiritual leader of the household is called to do. As a man, I took uh, it upon myself to know that I'm there to protect my woman, so I made sure she didn't fall off the mountain. That makes for a really bad story when you get back up to the top with your kids. Uh, number two, I stayed out in front of her because I'm the spiritual leader, and I got to get to the mountain first. I got to get to the top first as a guy, right? And number three, you never tell her when you're lost, okay? We lose our man cards when we admit that we have lost the way. And so as we're huffing and puffing of the side of this mountain, Leslie said, you've done this before. How much further? And I said, well, it's, it's just beyond that rock up there. We're fine. And so we get to the rock, and, and no, we're not fine. She said, well, how much further? And I said, up around that pine tree up there. And uh, uh, finally get up to the pine tree. 
we're not to the top yet. Where is the top? And uh, it's probably around that hill up there. And this isn't a hike. This is climbing over rock after rock after rock. And we both got so frustrated and demoralized and deflated. Why? Because we didn't know where the finish line was. And two, we didn't know how glorious the view was going to be from above. Have you ever been in a situation like that? That if you knew those two things, you'd have given, you'd have had the strength to make it through whatever it took. Whatever tribulation came your way, if you just knew where the finish line was, and if you knew how glorious it was going to be on the other side when you got to the top, that would give you the strength to press on, right? Well, that's what we read about in Revelation 21 today. Verses 1 and following, we see on the slide above that John once again has the heavens parted, and he on earth is able to see reality as only God sees it in heaven. And here are the truths that pour forth from him. This is how God sees the end, the finish line. Jesus says, then I saw, or Paul, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city and new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You see the end yet? You see the finish line of all the saints in glory? Jesus making all things new. Jesus bringing heavenly beauty and heavenly purity and lo lo loveliness to overtake and overcome the ugliness of this world, that's the finish line, friends. That's where we're headed in glory if we are saints. And that's what Jesus taught us to pray for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring the new heavens, bring the new earth. We are your holy brides adorned in righteousness ready to meet our husbands in heaven, Jesus. That's the finish line. The second thing we learn is the gospel promise in verse 3 today. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You see, that's the holy wedding of the saints who are washed in the blood made prepared and washed white for the bridegroom Jesus, and they are with Jesus in heaven. And look at what Jesus does in verse 4 for them. He wipes away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more, and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore, for all those former things have been passed away. You see, now you know the end of the story. Now you know where the finish line is with Jesus. Cancer doesn't win, Jesus does. Depression doesn't reign, Jesus does. Death is not victorious, Jesus is. He has trampled down death by his death, bringing eternal life for the saints of God. He's washed you clean in his own blood. And at that day, at the end, there are no more orphans, there are no more wars, there are no more difficult rocks to climb, nor more tribulations to go through, simply a glorious and beautiful view from heaven. And what does it look like from up there? Look at verse 5. This is Jesus high and lifted up one day. And it says, And he who seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new, Jesus says. 
And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Same thing that Jesus said on the cross, right? It is done. This is the finish line. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end, Jesus says. And to the thirsty, I will give to him the springs of water of life without price. The prize is the spring of water. Life without price. You're going to get the million dollar view in heaven, and you didn't pay a thing for it. He, though, gave everything that you might enjoy the million dollar view. The following video, I think, is going to be our, our what we call it, the, the sermon response today. In lieu of the, the creed, we're going to just dwell on this. And I want it to be imprinted on your hearts because this is what life is all about. This is the reflection of Derek Redmond, who had trained all of his life to run in the Olympics in 1992 in Barcelona. When all of a sudden, tragedy struck and tribulation came his way. And I want you to see yourself as the runner on the track that day as Derek Redmond. Please play the video. shoulder 
about that for yourself today. Can you imagine training your whole life to run one event and suddenly your hopes and dreams are dashed and your dreams are over and what tribulation that would bring. Imagine yourself as that runner today and you're running the race of life and you have all this tribulation that would take your eyes off the finish line and yet what does God do? The father in the stands comes down through the stands of heaven and comes right beside you on the track and gives you strength and courage to press on, as Paul says, to run the race for the upward prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus. John 16, Jesus promised us. He said, I have said all these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He sent himself to come alongside you. So John 3.16, the Father comes down out of the stands, for so God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever should believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He died, that you don't have to look back, that you could, as Paul says, you can forget what lies behind and press forward to what lies ahead in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can win the prize with God at your side. And yours, saints of God, yours are the voices. 65,000 strong cheering on Redmond that day. Go to the end. Go to the end. You can make it. You're the saints cheering one another on. But there's another group at the end of the, the story, at the finish line. All those saints, your grandmother if she has passed, and your mother and your father and your aunt, and all those who have died in Christ, and they too are cheering you on at the finish line. That's what saints do. So now, what is a saint? Saints are those who bring hope amid the tribulation by reminding others on the race where the journey of the gospel takes them, where the finish line is. And they also remind one another how glorious it will be when we reach heaven together. So encourage one another on the way. You are all saints if you're in Christ. So now you know who a saint is, and now you know what a saint does. Stand with me and pray if you want to be one too. Please stand with me. <clears throat> 